So relationships. You know, we've been working for about five weeks now using this book called Conscious Loving by the Hendricks, talking about relationships. And I, I realized that last week was the first week, really, that we said, okay, now we're ready to be in a committed relationship, right? A lot of it was us getting ready. A lot of it was us looking into our own backgrounds, our own idea of, of what relationships are like for us now, as well as some of the shadows from our past that color our relationships. Okay, so, so the good news is we're ready, and it doesn't mean that the chore is done. If there is to be any kind of chore or effort or work around relationships, uh, you know, it's something that is ongoing. And, and I was reminded yesterday, I had the very great privilege to preside over a, a memorial service. And what was interesting was every person there had a little bit of a different idea of, of what the person who had made her transition was like, right? I mean, some of them knew her as grandmother. Some of them had known her as mom. Other people knew her as a, a spouse or a friend or whatever. And although it was clear that they were talking about the same woman, I would say that there was a variety of differences of opinion of exactly who this woman was. And, and you know, what I think is interesting is I'm sure she didn't go from relationship to relationship and kind of flip, you know, she didn't have one of these that she just flipped a little switch and now I'm going to be the nice grandma, right? My guess is that she was pretty much the same as she went from person to person. And so what was that difference? That difference was us. That difference was the individual person and that relationship that she forged with them. So kind of outside of herself, outside of the other person, there is this third thing, this third thing called the relationship itself, and we get to create these things. Now, so far we've been talking about uh, intentionally creating them, right? To actually set out to draw to us the kind of relationship that we want. And yet, what I also know is a lot of time relationships just come to us. Most of the people who were at that memorial service were relatives. And that is one area where we don't always get to pick. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I think all of us have had an experience of a relative here or there that may not have been exactly what we would have chosen to have in our life. And yet, there we are. And so today I want to talk about some tools that we can use for maintaining our relationships, whether they're ones we've em embarked upon in an intentional way or whether they're a relationship that has just kind of shown up over the years. You know, one that, that whether it's a family member or a coworker, one that is just there and we're going to have it, whether it's of our choosing or not. But I think we do get to choose how we maintain it. We do get to choose the energy that we put into it and what that looks like. And so two very specific tools that we're going to talk about today are the idea of making and keeping commitments and also the idea of telling the truth. So to, so to get started, I thought I would uh, give you a little example of maybe not telling the truth. All right. So a clergyman was walking down the street when he came upon a group of six boys all under the age of 13. The group was surrounding a dog, and the, the parson was concerned that the boys might be teasing the dog. So he went over and he asked, what are you doing with that dog? Well, one of the boys replied, this is an old neighborhood stray. We all want him, but only one of us can take him home. So we've decided that whichever one of us can tell the biggest lie will get to keep the dog. 
Although the minister was pleased by the charity of boys to take in the dog, he had to make an example with them with the issue of lying. You boys shouldn't have a contest telling lies, he said. And then he launched into a 10-minute sermon. I know, we can do that sometimes. He then, you know, maybe I wouldn't, but it could happen. He then launched into a 10-minute sermon against lying, beginning with, don't you boys know it's a sin to lie? And ending with, when I was your age, I would never tell a lie like that. Well, there was dead silence for about a minute, and just when the minister was beginning to think he'd gotten through to the boys, the eldest of them gave a deep sigh and said, All right, pastor, you can have the dog. (laughs) All right. So Shirley Lawson and I were talking a little bit before the service, and I promised her that today I would push her buttons. And, and I think, right, really, she's laughing. And I think my next statement or my next question is going to push everybody's buttons a little bit. Because I'm going to ask for a show of hands, who here in the audience today is a liar? Oh, wow. All right. I'm glad to see that the, the celebration service is more truthful than the early morning service. <laughs> now, you have to... You have to admit, though, to raise your hand, there's that kind of moment of angst, right? Because the word liar, in particular, is a heavily charged word, right? And that, that's where I figured, if not Shirley's button, someone would get for us today. Because from the earliest age, we're taught that lying is irreprehensible. It's it, uh, totally, the, I, the whole idea of sin may have been invented for the purpose of teaching children what not to do around telling a lie. And interestingly, in this book, it talk specifically about this idea of, of telling or not telling the truth. Uh, the Hendricks say, when we learn early on that certain things, if said, cause us great inconvenience, we get censured, laughed at, or beaten up. When we take the mental snapshot of truth equals pain. Pretty soon it doesn't even consciously occur to us that we should tell the whole truth. And most of us carry into our adult relationships a reluctance to tell the full and entire truth. It takes a great deal of loving work on ourselves to become free and easy enough with ourselves to tell the complete truth. And so that's where I want to start out today. Because I think most of us, somewhere along the way, have been trained, if you will, maybe not to lie, but to sort of, shall we say, obscure the truth. And I think we do this in in kind of two clever ways. The first one is simply to withhold our truth. And that's what I think they were talking about most clearly in the book. And that's simply something maybe painfully obvious to you. Something might be aching within you to, to speak out and say your truth. And instead, we rationalize, well, you know, if I say that, it's just going to upset my partner. Or if I say that, you know, nothing's going to happen anyway. Nothing's going to be different. So why should I speak out? Or we might say something like, uh, this will just totally go on deaf ears. So, so why even mention it? You know, I'll wait. <laughs> and here's my favorite part. We say to ourselves, I'll wait until it's more important. Or I'll wait until the truth is so big that, I, that, that you know, it will just speak itself. Well, what I know is that day 
if it ever does come, will come with so much emotional energy with it that it will scare the heck out of people, right? Because when we continually sort of stuff in the truth, when, when there's something that's living in us that needs to be said to clarify our relationship or to speak our truth, if often enough we simply subjugate that, simply push it down, eventually when it does come out, it's like all hands on deck. Because what's going to happen here will be completely out of proportion to the circumstances, right? Then you'll be speaking your truth, probably with a lot of animation, maybe even anger, your truth for a whole lifetime. And the people around you are going to go, what was that? (laughs) So what I know is it's important for us to speak our truth as it comes up. And we can do this in ever such a loving way, right? And the second part of what we're going to learn about telling our, uh, our truth today is how to do it in a loving way. And in the book it's simply referred to is talking about the microscopic truth. And so before we get into that, I want to use kind of the opposite of that. When we don't speak the microscopic truth, what tends to happen is we either portray something as an opinion but we portray it as the absolute truth. Or we take something that on the surface is relatively truthful, but we'll attach a judgment on it. It's sort of like, well, here's the carrot, and then whack (laughs) as someone reaches out for it. And so let me give you some examples here. The first one, when we attach a bit of judgment to the truth, is when we make statements like, you made me so upset. Well, now there's a grain of truth there, right? I mean, certainly the person saying that is upset, but, but here's the judgment, right? Here's the attachment. Here's the stick. You made me feel that way, right? I'm not taking any ownership of being upset today. It was what you said. It was what you did. It was just how you are makes me upset. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and I've, actually, I've actually heard people say that as though your partner's only reason for living is to make you upset. <laughs> I've heard people say things like, you're the most self-centered person on this planet right? Now, sentences like these, statements like these, there is the grain of truth in them, and I think that's what draws us into this, you know? Often I wonder, well, why do people even argue? And I don't think it's because two people are telling patent lies to each other. If, the, if it was just two people telling lies to each other, absolute patent lies, they'd probably be laughing. The, the hook is that there's a little bit of truth in that. I am upset, and the other person can feel it. And then the hook is, you know, the, well, no, I didn't make you feel that way. I just said whatever I said, you know. It's not about me. But, you know, then the argument ensues. No, when you do that, it makes me feel. When you are that way, I do this. When you forget to do whatever you're supposed to do, then I, and what we're doing is we're adding on a layer of our own judgment, our own preferences, if you will, and portraying them as they're the truth. The other one, uh, the other one that I love is some, that goes along the lines of something like, uh, um, if you really loved me, you would know that, do you know what I mean? And there is that element of truth there, right? Because if that person really does, does love me, there, you know, often when you share a bond of love, there is that kind of little bit of a sense of what the other person's about and what they might like or not like. But oh my, that's the trowel of judgment in there. If you really loved me, right? I'm questioning someone's love. Again, it's that element of truth, 
but then we slather over it like a brick mason sometimes, a heavy veneer of judgment and complaint on the other person. All right. We have to give that up. This is the bad news. We have to be able to stand as responsible for our own feelings. The bad news is we have to give up putting our feelings onto other people. We have to give up saying that other people are causing me to be unhappy or not living my dream or whatever it is. We have to give that up. But it's also a good news story because we can still state our truth. And that's what we're going to learn how to do today. Um, you know, last time, uh, about this, this time last year, we were working with a book of Ernest Holmes called Know Yourself. And I, I was reminded of something in it, and I went back, and one of the first things that was highlighted in the book was his definition of truth. And he said, truth knows no opposites. Truth knows no opposites. And that's exactly what uh, Gay and Kathleen Hendrickson are talking about in this book when they talk about telling the microscopic truth. Because when you tell the truth, it doesn't have an opposite to it. There won't, because it's not an opinion, there won't really be the ability to argue with it. Do you know what I mean? So if I say something like, uh, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of, Really what I'm suggesting is only an opinion. When I hear that, right, I'm not seeing intelligence in it. But if I ask that other person, is this the stupidest thing on the planet? I guarantee you they would not agree with that, right? So this is open for debate. And anything that is open for debate means that opinions are involved. And anytime we're talking about opinions... The only thing that's true about it is that it's true for you. It's true for the one person who is saying that. And what gets us in trouble is that we make an, a pronouncement as though it's true for everybody, as though it's just a fact of life, <laughs> that you say the stupidest things or, or that that thing made me mad or whatever it was. We say it as though it were a general scientific principle rather than simply as our own opinion. So when we do say the microscopic truth, we begin saying things like, I'm scared. Now, how can someone argue with me saying, I'm scared? It's me. It's what I'm feeling right now. It has nothing to do with you. You didn't make me feel that way. I'm just feeling scared right now. You can say, th now here, here's a real good one. Here's, I'm sure I will press another button or two. In this time of uh, mixed families and blended families and ex-wives and ex-husbands and live-in partners and all kinds of things, oftentimes talking about previous relationships that you've had, you know, talking about the ex-wife or the ex-husband, talking about your previous partner or the, the father of some of the children involved or things like that will bring up things for the relationship you're in right now. So here is a way, very simply, of talking about the microscopic truth of that. I talked to my ex-wife today. And you know what? You can say that it, you can't contradict it. It is simply a fact. And if that brings up some fear in the other person, then it would be their option to speak the microscopic truth too, right? And it might bring up a really good dialogue along, you know, when you talk to your ex-wife, um, 
oftentimes I feel fear within me. Now you notice I didn't say that caused me to feel fear. And it might even prompt the dialogue to go a little further. Sometimes I worry that you don't love me any more than you loved your ex-wife. This is a good discussion. Might sound a little edgy, right? I might be pressing a few buttons here, but that's okay. Because on each side of this dialogue, each person is going to talk about the microscopic truth of how they're feeling and what happened. And they're not going to do it in a judgmental way. And they're not going to do it in a way that's stuffing down what they're feeling. You know, Maybe the feeling is, you know, when you talk about your ex-wife, what comes in my mind is the thought that I might be an ex-wife someday. Do you know what I mean? These are absolutely healthy discussions. If all of this dialogue never gets spoken, every time that phone rings and you pick up the phone and go into the other room because you're going to have a private discussion with your ex, right? All those same feelings are being felt. Okay, I just use that just as one, I think, fairly clear example of how if we can be brave enough, if we can make that agreement in our own relationships to speak the microscopic truth, then no longer are we sublimating, no longer are we stuffing down those emotions, and we will have the tools to actually speak about them in very proactive, very loving ways. There is nothing more loving There is nothing more honoring to a relationship than speaking this microscopic kind of truth because it doesn't have judgment on it. You're not withholding anything and you're speaking from your heart. Even if your partner isn't familiar with some of this teaching, even if your partner doesn't understand any of it, the mere fact that you're speaking from your heart and in this way that, that really can't be argued with, the phone did ring. I, I really did talk to her, right? I really am feeling this way. I'm really having these thoughts of abandonment, you know, whatever it might be. It will invite the other people in your lives to respond similarly. It will diffuse anger. It will bring about the ability to talk maybe for the first time, about some very serious issues in a way that honor each other from that place of love. So that is the idea of speaking the microscopic truth. The test of it is, if you think about what you're going to say, the test of it is, could someone actually argue the opposite side of it? And if they could, then it's not the microscopic truth then it's an opinion. And you know something? There's nothing wrong with opinions as well. And the best way to present an opinion is just to say, my opinion is, right? If you even just say it as my opinion, uh, rather than, well, everybody knows that, (laughs) then again, you're inviting someone to give you their opinion. And when it's just two opinions, we're not going to fight about that because after all, They're just opinions. All right, the other major topic that I wanted to talk about today is making and keeping agreements. I'll ask again, has anyone here ever broken an agreement? All right, now this one I think we're a little freer with. We all know that from time to time we'll make an agreement that just can't be kept for whatever reason. And that's where I want to start because I think we have a lot of power, more power than we give ourselves credit for, for making agreements that we can keep. 
How many of us have been in that position where things are kind of happening fast and someone that we care about asks us to do a thing, you know, oh, can you make sure that the lawn is mowed, you know, uh, every, every week, you know, on Sunday because, you know, why, I don't know why, but just whatever agreement might be. And we go, oh, sure, I can do that, no problem, and then we're off. And then we're no sooner out the door than we go, oh, wait a minute, though. If I'm going to mow the lawn on Sundays, it means I need to borrow the lawnmower from the guy across the street on Saturdays, and they're not always here on Saturdays. So, you know, he's just going to be, have to be happy with me mowing the lawn sometimes on Sunday, but maybe sometimes on Monday, or maybe sometimes on Tuesday. And, and this may be all fine and dandy in my mind, but what I'm doing from the get-go is saying it's okay to break this agreement, even if it's just somewhat a casual one. So I think that each one of us can pay a little more attention, first of all, up front, can I really keep this agreement? And the best agreements are ones that really you're responsible for. This whole idea of, of I can only keep the agreement if, right? If I can borrow the car and if, you know, I can get time off from work and, and if the kids will cooperate and, you know, if the car isn't too dirty or whatever it is, you know, what are the chances that this is going to work out well if it's dependent on five other people keeping their commitments? So first of all, when we're making a commitment, let's be really clear. Can I follow through with this? Is this a commitment that I'm prepared and have all the necessary information or materials or resources to actually pull it off? And if I don't, then let's not make the commitment. Or let's make the commitment in such a way that there's a good deal of clarity around it. You might say something like, well, you know, my intention would be that I will mow the lawn every Sunday, but um, just so that you know, I have to borrow the lawn more to do that. And so uh, what if we say the commitment will be usually the lawn will get m mowed on, on Monday, but sometimes it might be Tuesday and sometimes it might be Wednesday, depending upon you know, when Joe across the street will let me borrow the lawnmower. Is that okay? And then the answer is, you know, then it's another point of discussion. Maybe that's fine. Maybe that's not. But do you see the difference here? You really are making a commitment then that you have a good chance at honoring. All right. Um, so I mentioned that I uh, uh, presided over a memorial yesterday. And I got to tell you, I had a stroke of marvelous good luck. Because I'd only been to the place I was going one time before, and it's sort of in between, it, it is over in Vancouver, and you know, from Vancouver we can either take I-5 or we can take the Glen Jackson Bridge, and, and they kind of live in between there. And so I thought, well, I'm going to stop off at the church anyway, so, so I'll go I-5 to get there, and it was no problem, and we did the memorial. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll come home the other way, Glen Jackson Bridge. Yeah, yeah, some of you are from Vancouver, right? Yeah. <laughs> And I was thinking to myself, isn't it lucky that I didn't do it the other way around? You know, how bad for a minister to be, what, like half an hour late to a memorial service that they're presiding over? All of us will have an occasion to simply break a commitment. All right. Now, those of you who either have teenagers or were a teenager, I guess that would be all of us. What happens when we're out on a date on Saturday night and we're supposed to be home at 10 o'clock? Actually, someone was telling me at the first service that, that the curfew has been raised and kids get to stay out till midnight now. Is that, 
Is that true? Okay. So what, what happens when I'm the kid out on a date and it's 1130? What does a responsible child do when they know that there's no way they can get home in half an hour? Right. They call. What I would like us all to do is to take a vow that we can be at least as responsible as a responsible teenager. (laughs) If we're going to break a commitment, let us call first. Let us even try to renegotiate it, which I remember doing frequently when I was a teenager. Can it be 11? Can it be midnight? (laughs) And these are okay, because this is a place where we can have a dialogue with one another. And dialogues are good. You know, nothing worse than the person, the, the, than the, the teenager who was expected to be home at 10 gets home at 1.30 with no explanation at all. It's like, uh-oh, guess the car keys are going to be in dad's pocket for a long time, right? I, I, I guess the mechanics around here are going to change based on that. All of us can honor the other person, whoever they are that we're in relationship with, with some kind of a forewarning, at all, if at all possible. All right, even given that, so occasionally they close the, Gen, uh, the Glen Jackson Bridge. Sooner or later, all of us will break a commitment of some kind. All we have to do is completely own it and say we're sorry, and we actually present the evidence of how it won't be broken next time. And my particular belief is, more than the sorry, because lots of people say, I'm sorry, and what they really mean when they say, I'm sorry, a lot of times is, I'm sorry this affected you. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't really mean I'm sorry in the sense that I will do whatever is necessary so that this doesn't happen again. And so what the other person really wants to hear is, yes, I am late, I'm terribly sorry. I know it put you at inconvenience or whatever. And what I'm going to do next time to ensure that this doesn't happen is, I mean, that's really the sorry in action. That's really explaining that you understand this has an effect on other people. Whether you're late, whether you, you know, miss a date completely, whatever it is, you know, sorry just says that you had wished things were different, but they weren't. And they might not be any different next time as well. When you really make a commitment to honor commitments, then you will not only have ownership for when you fall down, but you'll also present the plan why this isn't going to happen again. And sometimes that will require you to renegotiate the the, um, commitment, and that's good too. All right, well, I'd like to close today with just a little bit of homework. And I'm going to focus in on the telling the microscopic truth part of things. And so if you're willing, I did it this last week and it was kind of fun. I I tried to analyze most of my interactions with other people while they were going on. And as I was getting ready to say things, I tried in my own mind to say, now is this the microscopic truth or is it an opinion Or is it something where I've ladled out a little bit of judgment in my going along? And I got to tell you, your minister is far from perfect. But what I learned about myself is that this is an area that it's fairly easy to make a difference fairly quickly. Because I caught myself a number of times as I was about to say something that either had a little bit of judgment in it or something that, that really was totally an opinion. 
And just that awareness of it allowed me to say, instead of saying something like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, which I was getting ready to say at one point. And instead I said, oh my word, I can't imagine how that works out. Do you see the difference there? Because I couldn't. And we had a nice little discussion about it. And if I would have said, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard about, what does that do? I'm telling the other person that I think they're dumb. And I don't believe that. I think we all have an amazing amount of intelligence brought to us right here from God. And so, oh, the difference that makes. So that's your homework for this week. Just analyze a little bit. And if you can ahead of when you say them, that's always good. But even if you can't, even if it's in hindsight, take a look at the things you've said. Are they opinions or are they truth? And if they are truth, have you like added a little bit of judgment to them? Or are they the kind of truth that stands that test of whether someone could argue with them and say, no, quite the opposite? And if it is, then think again how you might state it, especially in terms of I'm feeling terms, I'm feeling sad, here's what I did. You know, in terms of how you're feeling, specifically what you did, because those are the things that are actually factual. Those are the things that are true that cannot be made up in your own mind as harmful to someone else or ladling judgment out. All right, so that's your homework. I think it'll be a little fun. Let's talk a little bit about next week and see how it goes. But for now, let us pray. There is one power, there is one presence in this universe that is this thing called God. And what I know is that God is truth with a capital T. God is that sense of, of owning exactly what's going on in each person's life. God is that sense of, of honesty, of beauty. It is that love that transcends anything in every relationship. God is love. And this love expressing itself as relationships is present everywhere. It makes the crooked path smooth. It dispels anything unlike itself. And so this God, I know it's indwelling. I know that my life is full of loving relationships. I know that it's ever easier for me to tell the microscopic truth. I know it's ever easier for me to make and keep beautiful commitments. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room that the light and the life and the love of God is present in every relationship that's embarked upon. And that that life and that love is present in what we say and in what we do and how we show up. So that each person in this room becomes more aware of their words and speaking the truth. So that each person here in this room becomes more aware of the commitments that they make and their ability to actually meet them and hold them up. This is that good and gracious part of love. And I know it in my heart for each person in this room that relationships simply over time get easier, get more fun, that fewer strings are attached and that the light and the love of God is present always in them. And I'm grateful for this, grateful always to be aware of God present in this room, present in the faces of all of the people in this room, present in the loving relationships that we share with one another, our friends and our families. And so I simply let it be, and together we say, and so it is. So thank you very much. Thanks.